Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here with us this morning. We thank you that you have come to give us life, Lord, that we know new life in you. And so now as we come to your word, Lord, we thank you for this series. We thank you for the book of Galatians. And we just open our hearts to you again now this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Please be seated. It's great to be sharing God's Word with you this morning. As David mentioned, uh, over 200, in fact, away on our Switch camp, 168 kids, 45 leaders, just um, giving much thanks to God for the blessing of those camps, how significant they are in the lives of those young people. Very grateful to our amazing team of leaders. And we also have a special welcome this morning as well. Mike and Maureen Peasy are here with one of our newest arrivals, I think. Little baby Orla is here. Where are you guys? Can we do a Lion King if you're ready for it? <gasps> Over here. Big welcome, big congratulations to one of our newest arrivals. Well done, well done. Very exciting, very exciting. Well, we're up to week four in our series in Galatians. How are you going so far? Enjoying Galatians? It's good, isn't it? Amazing. The whole book, the whole Bible is amazing. Uh, but it's been great to study this series together. As we've been saying throughout this series, wherever you are on the journey of faith, um, this series is just great for you. Whether you're exploring faith, asking questions, whether you've been a Christian for many years, this is good because the book of Galatians is all about the gospel, the foundations of the Christian faith. As we said right at the start, it's not the ABC that you need to know. It's actually the gospel is the A to Z. It is something that is um, important for our lives every day of our Christian journey to know the gospel, to allow it to take hold in our lives, transform us and transforms our relationships with those around us as well. It's a very well-documented fact that it's very dangerous to leave dads at home alone with their kids. Uh, very well-documented fact. It's not wise to do this. And I've got some photo proof for you today just to prove this fact. Uh, one particular dad was at home alone with his baby, new, newborn baby, and decided to stick a sticker on its head. I think we've got a photo of it here on the screen could see the resemblance to a kiwi fruit and thought he'd just stick that on there. Another dad, a home alone with his baby, um, came up with a creative solution to get, keep their baby just starting to crawl from getting away. This is his, this dad's solution for that one. Ingenious, isn't it? Ingenious. Only a dad would come up with an idea like that. Um, this next dad said that his wife bought a new label maker to help get organized with the arrival of their new baby daughter, and he said he was already finding it very helpful. Here's the next photo here. Don't know if you can see it there, but he's labeled his baby, baby, just so he got that clear. And one other dad, um, he decided that it might be a good idea to draw eyebrows on his new little baby, and he said he was not disappointed with the result. Here's was the result of this one. As I said, mums know this so well. It's always dangerous to leave dads home alone with their children, with their babies. But we also know that there is something hardwired within all of us that longs for our dad's approval. If you've ever watched kids interact with their dad at the swimming pool, you'll, you'll see this. But for some reason, particularly, you know, it's at a swimming pool, but uh, a dad will be trying to relax on the side of the pool, and the kids will be diving in the pool, you know, swimming underwater, trying to get his attention, and the kids will say something over and over again to their dad. They'll say three words. They'll be saying, Daddy, any guess what the words are? Daddy, watch me. Daddy, watch me. Look at me, Daddy. Look at me, Daddy. And they'll be doing their best underwater swim, best dive into the pool, best jump in, but... They all will be saying, Daddy, look at me. Daddy, did you see me? Did you see what I did? 
What's going on in that situation? Well, what it is is that it's a child craving their dad's attention and their, his approval, isn't it? That's what they're craving. It's hardwired into us from a young age. And that longing is still there when we're older too. Even though it may show up in different and more complex ways, research shows that every one of us is desperate for the approval of a father. No matter what our age, a recent study in psychology today underscores this need for a father's approval. Dr. Peggy Drexler writes these words. It said, in my research into the lives of some 75 high-achieving, clearly independent women, I knew that I would find powerful connection between them and the first men in their lives. What surprised me was how deep and surprisingly traditional the bond is, how powerful it remains throughout their lives and how resilient it can be even when a father has caused it grievous harm. No matter how successful their careers, how happy their marriage or how fulfilling their lives, women told me that their happiness passed through a filter of their father's reactions. Many told me that they tried to remove the filter and much to their surprise failed. We know that fathers play a key role in the development and choices of their daughters, but even for women whose fathers had been neglectful or abusive, I found a hunger for approval. They wanted a warm relationship with men who did not deserve any relationship at all. But did you catch the, the key phrase there, that the hunger for approval? And the same can be said of sons as well as daughters. According to Dr. Frank Pittman, author of Man Enough, he said, life for most boys and for mo many grown men is a frustrating search for the lost father who has not yet offered protection, provision, nurturing, modeling, or especially anointment. And by the word anointment there, it refers to being chosen, blessed, being approved. And the word, uh, this, this, this idea of that we are all desperate for our Father's approval uh, is within each one of us, hardwired within each one of us, but it's not always there, is it? We don't always receive that. And without this approval, without receiving this approval, we can feel like we've been given up on, abandoned, deserted, or disowned. This lack of a Father's presence or approval in our lives can feel like a shadow that's always there, this intangible missing piece, and we don't even know how to find it. In one word, we feel forsaken if that has been our experience. And the word forsaken means to be left behind or left in a difficult condition by someone when you really needed that person to stay. And I know there will be many stories about our experience of that across this auditorium today, but I want you to know that the promise of the gospel is this, that no matter where things are at with your earthly dad, you have a perfect father in heaven who loves you and wants to pour out his blessing on you. And he says that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. That is the promise that we find in God's word. And we see this so clearly in Galatians chapter four. Paul wants the Galatians and us to get a full understanding of just how amazing and life transforming the truth is that we can be called children of the living God. This is what he hones in on, on Galatians, in Galatians chapter four. So we're gonna read this together, the first few verses. This is what he says. It'll come up on the screen behind as well. He says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. 
The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the Lord, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is God's word to us this morning. And you know that the most important thing about you is not where you're from, it's not the level of education you've received, it's not what other people think about you, it's not even what you think about yourself, it's not about what you have achieved, what you've accomplished, it's not about what kind of family you have come from or what your gifts and abilities are. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. That is the most important thing about you. And since we were made by God and for God, our heart searches for the God who we were made by and for. We can't help it. It's like this homing device built within us. There is something with all of us that draws us magnetically towards God. A.W. Tozer said, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. And we see in scripture that the number one image of God that Jesus paints for us is this idea of God as our Father. 189 times in the Gospels alone, Jesus refers to God as Father. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, to teach them how to communicate, how to talk with God, what did Jesus say to them? He said to them, if you want to have the intimacy of relationship that I have with my heavenly father, when you come to pray, when you come to talk to him, you begin with these words. You begin with the words, what? Our father, our father, your father is how you were to come to God. He wants you to know that you can live with the understanding that you can be a dearly loved son, a dearly loved daughter, under the waterfall of his blessing. This is an incredible truth when you think about that the creator of the universe, the transcendent holy God, invites us into this sort of relationship. And here in Galatians 4, Paul says there are two ways to live spiritually. One is as a slave, which he says is our natural state, or the other is to live as a son or a daughter. And in verses one to four, he uses the image of a child who is an heir to a great inheritance. This is the picture that he paints. And he says, while that heir is underage, even though they have this great inheritance, even though it belongs to them, they are still really a slave because they are yet can't access it because they haven't come of age yet. And because they're under the guardianship of another person, often it would be a slave in that household who would be the guardian of them. They couldn't make their own decisions. They had to do what they were told. So he says, in real essence, even though they have this inheritance, they're really still a slave. And he uses this illustration to refer to the position of the Israelites before the coming of Christ. Even though they were heirs to this great promise, 
that had been given to them as a people, they were still slaves because they were still under the law, waiting for the fulfillment of the law through the promise of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And Paul also applies this principle more generally to say that in the same way all human beings are spiritually slaves before coming to Christ. We're all, in a sense, under the law, he's saying. Even if we've never heard of the Bible or didn't even know who Moses was, we're all under the law. Why? Why is that? It's because we are all desperately trying to live up to some standard to justify ourselves, whether we realize it or not, we all do this. We're all trying to answer the question, am I okay? Am I acceptable? Am I approved of? Am I loved? That's the question. They're all trying to answer deep within our hearts. And when we do this, we we become anxious, we become burdened. Slavery is our natural state. But then Paul explains the good news in verses four and five, that through Jesus, not only have we been redeemed from slavery, but we have received adoption to sonship. And so to understand what God sent his son to do, we need to travel to an ancient slave market to appreciate redemption. And then we need to travel to an ancient wealthy household to grasp the concept of sonship and adoption. It's redemption and adoption together. Only together do they give us a complete picture of what Christ has accomplished for us. In the ancient world, a slave could be set free by being redeemed, someone would pay a price for them to set them free. But then there was also adoption. And this was the era of primogenitor where the, the, the male heir received all the inheritance. The son received all the inheritance, the eldest son. But if a man did not have an heir, he would then have an opportunity to adopt somebody to be his heir. Often it was a slave in his household or somebody else he had a relationship with, he would adopt and they would then become the rightful heir, become a son in that sense, receiving all the rights, all the privileges, all the blessings of a firstborn son. And this is the picture Paul gives us of salvation. Yet it's very common for us to think of our salvation in terms of just the first part, just redemption, and not the second, adoption. We often think only in terms of salvation about the transfer from us, from our, of, from our sins being transferred from us. That's part one. We often think about that, but we forget the second part of salvation, and that is also the transfer to us of all the rights and the privileges of the only, the son, God's only son, Jesus. And when we think only of the first part, we're really only sort of half saved by grace. We've only got the first part of the story. We can get pardoned, but now we have to live a good life to earn and maintain God's favor and his rewards. But Paul wants to show the Galatians, and he wants to show us, not only did Christ remove the curse that we deserve, but he also gives us the blessing that Jesus deserved. When we were adopted The two come together and we can't miss the two parts of salvation. To use another image, Jesus' salvation is not only like receiving a pardon and release from death row and prison. Imagine you're on death row and someone comes and pardons you from that. Then we'd be free, but then we'd be on our own, left to make our own way in the world, thrown back on our own efforts to try and make something of ourselves. 
But in the gospel, we discover that Jesus has taken us off death row and then he has given us all the rights and the privileges and the blessings and the inheritance of the son of a king. That is the blessing we've received. Isn't that good news to know that? Incredible news. But unless we know this and remember this, we will be anxious, we will be despairing. In 2013, the world watched the viral video of Davion only. Davion was an orphan teenager who'd spent his whole life in and out of foster homes. He was actually born while his mother was in prison and one day, not having any connection with his family, didn't know anything about his family, he jumped online to try and find out some more, only to discover that his mother had actually already passed away. That's how he found out that his mother had passed away, just by surfing on the internet, looking up on the internet. When this happened, he was desperate. And so one day he dressed up in his best suit that he could find and he went to the church that he attended and he asked the pastor permission to get up that day and he pleaded with the congregation and beyond that it ended up going around the world, but he pleaded that somebody might adopt him as their son. He said these words, he said, I'm not picky. I don't mind if they're a mom or a dad, old or young, black or white or purple. He says, I don't care. He said, I just want someone to love me until I die. He said, oh, he's growing impatient, but he wouldn't lose hope. He said, I know God hasn't given up on me, so I'm not giving up either. And in response to Davion's plea, it was captured on video and went viral all around the world. Her, the foster agency he was a part of received hundreds of inquiries to find out about adopting Davion as their own child. And he went to one particular home, but it didn't work out in that home for a number of different reasons. Then he moved around four different homes. And during this whole process, his caseworker, her name was Connie Going, throughout this whole process, um, as, as the first home didn't work out, he began to say to Connie, his caseworker, he said, Connie, won't you just adopt me as, as, as my mum? Won't you just take me as your child? And Connie had two biological children of her own and she'd already adopted one son, a foster child. He'd adopted it into her own family as well and she wasn't sure if this was the right thing to do, if she'd be able to do that. And she kept hoping that maybe there would be a family there, just the right family for Davion. But as time went on and still they couldn't find a home, Connie said these words. She said, something changed with Davion's latest plea. She said, in adoption, there is a claiming moment when you know someone is your child. When he called me to ask in that moment, she said, I just knew. When he asked me, my heart felt this ache and I just knew he was my son. And Connie Going followed the prompting of her heart and entered an application for adoption. And on the April 22nd, 2015, he was adopted into Connie's family. And she said these words. She said, I want him to know he is unconditionally loved for who he is, the way he is. And as a family, we will be there through it all, the good and the bad for our lifetime. He is home, is what she said. Powerful story, isn't it? But in our hearts, all of us, even those from loving and nurturing families, we long for a forever home, a place where we can be unconditionally loved and accepted without fear of rejection or abandonment, not just until we die as Davion hope, but truly for forever. That's what our hearts long for. 
And I want to tell you that kind of security can only come from God alone. He is the only one. Our perfect Heavenly Father is the only one who can give us that sense of security and acceptance and love. And His offer of adoption is for every single soul who longs for this kind of acceptance. It's on offer for all who would come to him in repentance and faith through Jesus. This is the great news of the gospel, that we have been redeemed, but also we can be adopted as sons of God, welcomed into his family. But the problems the Galatians had and the problem that we all struggle with is that we have this habit of returning to slavery even when we know we are sons and daughters of God. That's why in verse 7, Paul says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. He has to remind them, the Galatians, they've forgotten already who they are. But we all tend to do this, right? Let's not get too judgmental on the Galatians here. We all tend to do this. this is, there's this natural pull within us back to slavery. We often don't feel worthy to be a son or a daughter. We are used to living in slavery. It's what comes naturally to us. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones shares a great illustration of this experience that we have, all have within us. He said, after the American Civil War, there were many thousands of people who had been born as slaves and brought up as slaves and who had lived as slaves. They got into the habit of thinking as slaves, but the American Civil War settled the question of slavery and slavery was abolished. There were no longer slaves according to law. The battle had been won, they were now set free. However, many years afterwards, many of those former slaves, especially those who are older in years, kept on forgetting that they were free. If they saw a white person walking down the street, they would jump onto the other side of the street out of fear of what that interaction might be like. If a white person was standing, they would quickly stand up to give them their seat. If a white person asked them to get them something, they would, without thinking, just say, yes, sir, I'll get it for you. You see, they still lived under fear and submission, even though they'd been set free. But they had to learn to reckon themselves to be no longer slaves because it was so embedded within them. And it took some time because people tend, we tend to act according to habits and customs and practices that we have been ingrained with. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the way to get rid of all this evil is to tell yourself what is true about yourself, that you are no longer a slave, that you are free. He says, we have to keep reminding ourselves of this incredible truth. And the way we do that is through God's word, isn't it? We allow God's word to keep telling us who we are if we are in Christ. We must keep reminding ourselves what we have in him. And one of the greatest purposes of of daily Bible reading and meditation and prayer is just this, to get us correctly orientated to remember who and what we are because of all that Jesus has done for us. We are no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters of the King. A good example of this is John Newton, the former the writer, I should say, of the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. He was only a child and lost his mother when he was seven years old. He went to sea when he was just 11 and later become, became involved, in the words of one of his biographers, in the unspeakable atrocities of the African slave trade. He plumbed the depths of human sin and degradation. 
He knew what that was about. But when he was 23 on the 10th of March, 1748, his ship got caught in a storm and everyone thought, including John Newton, thought they were going to die in that moment. In that horrific storm, he cried out to God for mercy and he found it in that moment. He was truly converted and he never forgot how God had had mercy upon him. After all that he'd done as a former blasphemer is how he described himself. And he sought diligently from that moment on to remember who he had previously been and what God had done for him and who he now was in Christ. And in order to imprint this on his memory, he actually had written in bold letters and fastened across the wall over the mantelpiece of his study the words of Deuteronomy 15, 15. He said these words, Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman, a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed me. And he wanted that truth to be front and center for him all the time. And if only we remember these things, that what we once were, what we now are, we would have an increasing desire to live accordingly, to be what we are, namely sons and daughters of God set free by Christ. At Billy Graham's memorial service in 2018, thousands gathered to give thanks for the life of Billy Graham. Millions tuned in around the world, world leaders were present there. People from all walks of life were there, and there were many stories shared about his influence, the impact on so many people's lives as he followed God's call to preach the gospel. But one of the most powerful stories shared in that service was from his daughter, Ruth. One person at the service wrote this, given how uniformly inspiring the entire service was, music, testimonies, prayer, one tribute though seems to have risen to the level of being the high point of the service. And they said this was the tribute from Billy Graham's daughter, Ruth. And I don't think there was a dry eye, this person wrote, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house as we listened to Ruth's story. Most of us were nodding, at least inwardly in agreement. We could connect with her story. And this is what Ruth shared about her experience of Billy Graham as her dad. This is what she said. She said, after 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce. I was devastated. I floundered. I did a lot wrong. The rug was pulled out from under me. My family thought it would be a good idea for me to move away, to get a fresh start somewhere else. And so I decided to live near my older sister and her family and near a good church. The pastor of that church introduced me to a handsome widower and we began to date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him, but I thought they were almost growing. They didn't know, they couldn't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo. They said, honey, why don't you slow down? Let us wait to get to know this man. But they had never been a single parent. They had never been divorced. What did they know? So being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married a man. I married this man on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. What was I going to do? I wanted to talk to my mother and father. It was a two-day drive. 
questions swirled in my mind. What was I gonna say to daddy? What was I gonna say to mother? What was I gonna say to my children? I've been such a failure. What were they gonna say to me? We're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. Let me tell you, you women will understand, she says. You don't wanna embarrass your father and you really don't wanna embarrass Billy Graham. And many of you know we live on the side of a mountain and as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway and my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, welcome home. There was no shame, there was no blame, there was no condemnation, just unconditional love. And she said, you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. And when we come to God, she said, with our sin, our brokenness, our failure, our pain and our, our hurt, God says, welcome home, and that invitation is open to you. Powerful story, isn't it? Picture of who our heavenly father is. And Ruth's story is almost a direct mirror of the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, isn't it? What's interesting in that story is that when the prodigal son comes home and the father welcomes him and holds a celebration feast, the older brother becomes angry and refuses to go in. He is outside. This is what it says in Luke 15, verse 28. It says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Did you see it there? All these years he said, I've been slaving for you. Even though he was a son, he had been living as a slave, hadn't he? He had missed the father's heart. The father didn't want his son to slave for him, to live in joyless duty and in this anxious performance. That's not what he wanted. He wanted him to serve him out of a joy and a love and a freedom because he knew that he was unconditionally loved by his father. His father wanted a relationship, this intimate relationship with his son where his son just wanted to be in his presence. And we know the older brother in the story represented the religious Pharisees who were living under legalism and it represents the slavery that we can all so easily fall into. But the father wanted his son to love him, to live in this intimate relationship with him and enjoy his, parent, his presence and know his love and know his approval. This is God's heart for us. And Paul captures this thought powerfully in verse six where he says in in verse six there, he says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. It's so hard to try and explain in words just how amazing this verse is. So rather than try and explain it to you this morning, I thought I might actually try and show it to you. And so I've asked the help of my youngest daughter, Elise. She's gonna come and help me this morning. This is my youngest daughter, Elise, right here. Oh. She gives the best hugs, she really does. You know, the word Abba is baby talk. Baby, a baby talk word meaning daddy, that's what it means. That's what the word means. 
And just as this young child simply assumes that a parent loves them and will be there for them, and just as a child never doubts the openness and the security of a daddy's strong arm, so in the same way as Christians, we can know that there is a God who will love us endlessly, that he'll never leave us or forsake us. You know, for many of us, our idea of salvation is just about getting our sins forgiven so that when we die, we can get to heaven. But your heavenly Father says, actually, salvation is so much more than that. Eternal life is so much more than that. It's about having a relationship with your heavenly Father, to know that he loves you and has accepted you and wants to embrace you and wants to pour out his blessing over your life. This is God's heart. This is God's heart for us. That's what we were created for, to know the love and acceptance and approval of our heavenly Father. Only in him can we find that. So let me ask you this morning, what's your relationship like with God? Is it distant and impersonal this morning? Has it become a relationship just out of duty? Where you're just sort of going through the motions? Is that what it's become for you? Do you feel weighed down by guilt and shame? You think, well, I'm not worthy to call God my father. I'm not worthy to be a son or daughter of the king. Well, I want you to hear God's word to us this morning. He invites you to come to him this morning and to experience this truth. If you've never come to him, to come to him in repentance and faith this morning and know the love of your heavenly father, to know the incredible transformation this brings to our life, the healing, the restoration this brings to our life. Or if you know him as your father, maybe you've become distant from him, to come to him again this morning, to know he longs for you to experience a relationship like this because he has put his spirit into your heart that cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy. And you are no longer a slave. You need to know this, but you are a son or a daughter of the living God. This is an incredible truth. Will you pray with me this morning? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible truth of your word. That you have loved us with this everlasting love. Lord, thank you that you came, you sent your son to redeem us, but Lord, not only to redeem us, but to adopt us as your children. What an incredible truth, Lord, that you, the creator of the universe, holy, transcendent, would give us this offer this morning, Lord. This is what we were created for. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for each and every one of us, maybe some here this morning who have not yet place their faith and trust in you. Maybe they've been on the journey of faith asking questions, but they know deep within there's this missing piece. There's, there's something that's been going on in life. Maybe they've had a strained relationship with their earthly father. It's caused a lot of hurt and pain in their life. But this morning, you as the perfect heavenly father offer this invitation to come. If that's you this morning, I encourage you just to say yes to him, to place your faith and trust in him. For others of you here, Lord, that know that we are no longer slaves, we are sons and daughters, but Lord, we keep finding ourselves pulling back into slavery. Help us, Lord, this week, Lord, just to embed in our minds this truth that we are no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters of the living God, that you have opened your arms, that you long to embrace us, you want us to experience an intimacy of relationship with you, to know your love and acceptance over our lives. Even when we fail, Lord, even when we head off in our own direction, you are so there like the prodigal son, Lord. You're just there ready, arms open to welcome us in. 
And so, Lord, I pray you'll help us to live in the light of this truth, Lord. Help this truth to transform our hearts. And we pray this this morning. We ask this, that you would do this by the work of your Holy Spirit, the Spirit that testifies with our spirit, Lord, that we are your children, that we can cry out, Abba, Father, you are our dad. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we respond in worship, we're going to sing a beautiful song which says that we're no longer slaves. We're child's children of God. And down the front, I've just simply put some verses of Scripture, just a number of verses that just affirm. There's so many verses in Scripture that talk about the fact that we are children of God. When we've come to Jesus in repentance and faith, and as we heard in there, as Paul was saying, and as I was reading on this, everyone, the commentators kept saying, the way to remind us of this is just to embed this truth. Like John Newton put it somewhere really prominent. And so I've just got these little slips of paper with these verses of Scripture. And this morning, if you just want to say, yes, Lord, I want to reaffirm this truth, you can come down the front and just grab one of these. Just keep it with you this week. Tuck it in your Bible. Keep it somewhere handy in your car where you just remember again and again, yes, this is who I am. This is who I am. And that through that, you would experience that, that nearness of God's presence, that renewing work of His Spirit within our hearts. This is an opportunity. If you're here this morning, if you've never, ever taken that step to say yes to Jesus, maybe you, just as I was praying, you felt that. Well, this morning, you come and take it as a step of faith and trust, saying this is the morning for me. I want to take this. And we have some Bible gift packs for you as well. We'd love to give that to you. But this morning, let us affirm this. This is for all of us because we all can so easily slip back into that slavery mindset to say, God, I want to affirm again this morning. I am your child. I want to live in the light of that truth. So why don't we stand together as we jump to our feet. If you want to respond, you feel free to come and grab one of these. Some verses of truth there. We're going to respond in worship this morning. This is the good news of the gospel, great God, the best news in all the world. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing on each and every one here today. And I pray that as we leave, Lord, as the worship just begins this morning, you'll bless our conversations as we gather over coffee. Bless us as we head out into our communities and our workplaces, Lord, our neighborhoods, wherever you take us, great God. Thank you that we carry, we are carriers of this good news. We are the light in the darkness. So use us, we pray, powerfully this week. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said. Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer, some of our prayer team down the front here, they'd love to pray for you as well. Do stay for tea and coffee in the courtyard and our welcome cafe as well. God bless.